Today's reading is from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds, the pro- it holds promise for the present life and also for life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Well, good morning. So my clock up here says 1028. Doesn't mean we're getting out early, so just uh, get comfortable. We'll be ready to rock. You guys good? Okay, I was off last week. We uh, returned from a little our last vacation of the summer yesterday. And uh, we couldn't be happier about that uh, beautiful reality. We're also happy to be back before you preaching God's Word. So today we start a new series, which is about five weeks long, which is really the month of August, as we kind of see people coming and re-engaging with church life, gathering life, getting more involved in church. This is kind of the rhythm. Uh, We want to invite people, not just into any church, but into a church that longs for all of us to mature in Christ. That's the goal for all of us, and so for, 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 for us today and for the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at what does it look like, what are some marks of maturity for every Christian, every person who says and calls upon the name of the Lord, what does it look like for us to actually come together, be reminded of what it looks like for Christians in this context in particular to mature? Why are we doing that? Why are we taking a break from our beloved uh, book of John. Well, number one, it works better, better with our preaching schedule. Uh, and so number two, though, we need to hear these words from God's, from God's word about what it looks like for us. Um, I don't know about you, but for me, I, it's easy for me to drift in my spiritual life. Anybody else? Just It's easy for you to drift? Yeah, show of hands. Okay, the rest of you need to just uh, pray and repent. We'll be fine. Um, but it's easy for me to drift, and, and the reason why it's easy for me to drift is because I forget my destination. Sometimes I think my destination is, is a, a life that's well-ordered. Like if I was really honest with myself, what do I kind of flip out about over the week? And it's usually the things that are out of order for me. So for others of us, it may be for our comfort. Like we, 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 we rearrange life for things that make us comfortable. And so we may make money to spend money to get comfort. Um, for me, it's usually order and and. That's not the destination for me because Jesus left order, the perfect order that ever was in heaven and came into a world that is broken and fallen and chaotic and absolutely disordered so that he could bring it back into his order. And for me, I need to be reminded of that day in and day out because if I am not reminded of that truth, I will create my own truth to live in. And that truth is not nearly big enough for me to disciple my family and this church and all of you into. Instead, it must be much bigger than my comfort or my security or my order, my control. And instead, the destination is this for all of us. And we need to hear this because if we're going to find marks of maturity, we've got to define maturity. We've got to figure out what it is we're actually aiming for because it is an order and it's not comfort. And so what is it? It is Purely this, it is living in the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is obedience to whatever he has to say so that we might love others as he has loved us. And when we do this, 
in faith, not for the means of comfort or control or anything else. But if we will do this in faith, it will yield the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, the New Testament has on repeat, you will never drift into maturity. I will never get beyond order as my destination. You will never get beyond comfort or whatever it is as your destination without a clear, defined path. You will not do it by drifting. Instead, what drifting does, it just leads you into the sea of immaturity. And Ephesians 4 says you will be tossed to and fro by the waves and wind of every doctrine. But instead, we've got to chart the right course and we will drift or we will drift into immaturity. So here's what I want you to hear. The theme for today is to take ownership over your spiritual maturity by taking ownership over your spiritual path. Our first mark of maturity is that maturing Christians take ownership over your own spiritual vitality. It is not outsourced to any spiritual hero or any pastor, or any leader. It is yours to own. So who's your spiritual hero? You got a spiritual hero? Like, does he, Hopefully you have someone that you look up to in the faith. You have a spiritual hero that you kind of look up to. Maybe it's a Bible teacher. Maybe it's uh, you know, a pastor that's in a different city and you kind of dial into their podcast. Maybe it's your mom. Maybe it's your dad. What, who is your spiritual hero? You got that person in your mind? Your spiritual hero? Okay. The thing that makes it, the the, the only thing, well, well, not the only, but one of the main things that makes your spiritual hero different, perhaps, than you, is that long ago, they took ownership over their faith. Long ago, they quit outsourcing their own spiritual growth to a pastor or to a leader or to a podcast, and and those are good things. We we need to gather. We need to listen to the public reading of Scripture. That's the rest of of the passage that we just read. We need to, to engage podcasts. We need to learn from books. We need to sit underneath the spiritual care of others. So don't hear me say those aren't good things. Those are really, really good things. But after a while, we need to understand that what got us to where we are won't take us to where we need to be. We've got to evaluate what's going on and start taking ownership of where we want to go. See, that's one of the main differences between our spiritual heroes and some of ourselves. They quit outsourcing the spiritual life and they own their spiritual path for the sake of God's glory and God's people. So I just want to ask you some questions as we get started. Are you satisfied with your rate of maturity? Uh, I can tell you that over the summer, we've just drifted all summer long. Like, not, very little family discipleship, very little personal care. When I went on my five-week break, I told somebody, I don't think I read the Bible for the first two or three weeks. It's just drifting over the summer. And as we enter back into August, I don't know about you, but there's a little bit of excitement for me. As we were driving home from San Antonio yesterday, we started dreaming and thinking about what we were going to do with our finances. My wife is going back to work, and so we're going to have a little bit more money than we used to have. And and the answer isn't just to blow it all as we go. The answer is we want to be deliberate about what we want to do with that extra money that we have. We want to give more. We want to save more. We want to do more. But we have to do that with a plan that's in place. And as we enter back into Order, structure, schedule, what are the things that we will put 
in that schedule, in that order. So over the summer, and even prior to the summer, uh, we found Netflix to be our friend. I don't know about y'all. Um, not too much Netflix. We're kind of balanced with that, although I will tell you that I have a date almost every night with my daughters to watch Lost in Space, which is this great kid series. I don't know why nobody told me about that. I blame all of y'all for not watching that and letting me know. But anyways, we've been watching it. It's been great. But before that, I watched a documentary. I think it's a documentary called uh, the, the Magic Pill. And for those of you that are in the keto group me, did you know there's a keto group me at the Grove? I don't know about it because I don't want to be in it. But um, but there are those that do keto in our, in our church, and it's like this cult thing, but it's fine. Um, but there's this keto diet, right? And if you watch the magic pill, um, what you'll find is that um, they're, they're really experimenting with the keto diet, and it's helping people regain their lost health. And if you watch that, what you find is that there's a nutritionist that goes into these people's homes, they clean out their pantry of all the sugar, and then they take them shopping, and then they come back to their house, and they cook meals with them for like the first two weeks of keto, because it's that much of a radical shift. And what I'm trying to get for us today, if you don't know this, is that the short history lesson of food in our country over the last three decades is that fat-free became a thing. And what you find out is that fat-free actually tastes like cardboard. And so what they did was they created, I want you to hear this, they created manufactured sugars to make things taste better. And so instead of eating healthy fats, we took those out, and now we eat unhealthy sugars, and we're all getting fat as a result. And so what they did is they kind of satiated us, and... All of a sudden, they've inoculated us with sugar, and so a well-disguised sugar has caused us to get fat, unhealthy, and uneducated when it comes to what we consume into our bodies. So if you drink like a bunch of zero-calorie uh, sodas, like chances are there's still a bunch of disguised sugar in there somewhere, as aspartame or whatever. And for what I'm trying to say for us is that if fat-free became a, a thing, I think that effort-free Christianity has now become a thing. We quite enjoy that because who has time to read the Bible? Who has time to pray? We just show up. We let somebody else tell us what they learned from God. We go home. We think that's enough for us. And yet our spiritual diet, we are becoming more and more malnourished. We don't know how to cook a homemade meal, spiritual meal for our own family. And deep down, each of us have a hunger that has not been satisfied in years spiritually. We don't know the answer. Because we've put off that which is most important. And so today I want to lead you into a way to find food that will satisfy us, not just until the next meal comes, but for all of eternity. So if you do have your Bible, we will be in 1 Timothy 4, and hopefully you've already been there. That feels like that was appropriate timing. So we're going to enter into the middle of a book, 1 Timothy 4. It's literally right back, right in the middle of this book. And so let me give you some context. Paul is writing to his young apprentice named Timothy. Timothy was left in Ephesus to establish order in a very young church, maybe three, four years old. This should sound familiar for us. Maybe three, four years old, we need to have order. And so Timothy is left in Ephesus. He is there to establish order. He is there to defend against false teachers. And he is there to care appropriate, appropriately for God's people. And so as we look into this book, let me invite us into a few observations that you just need to trust me on. I don't have time to go back in and read all these things. 
But just trust me here, and you'll go back and read it. It'll be great. <clears throat> First, what you need to know is that Timothy was not an, e- an elder, nor was he a deacon. And yet what you find in chapter 3 is that he is there to appoint elders and find deacons that are qualified. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're not an elder or a deacon and you're called to go find elders and deacons, that might put you in a compromising situation like, who am I to go do this? Why should I be going to do this? Yet Timothy takes hold of this charge by Paul and goes and does what he does. And for us, we need to understand that we don't need to have a position to own what God is telling us to own. We're included in this. Second thing we need to know as we get into context here is that Timothy was likely younger than the culture in which he ministered. That's evidenced by a a verse right after this in verse 12 of chapter 4. And so I would say this to all of us. We too are a younger church, both corporately in our linear age and also personally, just as we are. We're a very young church. And what with young churchness, I don't even know what I'm saying anymore, with our quote-unquote age... uh, Whatever, I'm just going to say it, immaturity. I'm trying to get around that word, but that's what it is. With our age immaturity also comes our spiritual immaturity, right? That's just the reality of where we are. But Timothy is the same way, and Paul charges him to set an example. The last thing that I want you to know is context is that this letter, amongst others, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, all written to individuals. The New Testament was not just written to large churches that gathered, small churches that gathered in homes. It was also written to individuals. Individuals like you and me who might doubt our calling, who might wonder why God is asking me to do this certain thing. We're included in this. And God's great plan for individuals is to take hold of our faith. So let me just get right into this and get into verse 6 and 7. Read with me if you will. If you put these things before the brothers, and what, he, what the things are, are, are basic order, basic doctrine, in verses 1 through 5. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. He's been given something by Paul, and he's telling him, keep following it. Verse 7, how do we do this? Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. See, if we're going to be people that are marked with maturity over time, we've got to first understand that God tells individuals yourself to be trained. See, ownership over our spiritual life is very personal. Paul tells Timothy to do things that he likely didn't feel equipped or ready to do. And God will ask you to do things that you probably don't think you're ready to do either, but it is for God's purposes and His wisdom, not our own. Paul charges Timothy to stand against false teachers in chapter 1, to establish order in the corporate gathering in chapters 2 and 3, appoint elders and deacons in 3, care for widows in chapter 4 and 5. And he says this basically, hey Timothy, you're my guy. I've discipled you now for many years. I'm leaving you at this church that I've ministered to for over three years. No pressure, but the future belongs to you. It's great words for us that God's great plan for the future of a church is to put in charge some young people to own their own faith, to train yourselves for godliness. This word for train yourself is gumnazo. I know you were wanting to know that. 
But I only say that not to show off that I can like look something up in software, but to say it's gumnazo, like it's it's a gymnasium. To train yourself gives great uh, a, a great picture for us of someone who's in a gym lifting weights, doing their thing, whether somebody's there or somebody's not, going to Camp Gladiator or CrossFit or whatever it is, and they are training themselves. They are owning their future by doing what's necessary right now. Train yourself, Timothy. There's no pressure here, but the fate of the Ephesian church is now in your hands, my brother. And he says, take ownership over your spiritual walk. And for us, it's easy for us to go, okay, we're going to take ownership over our physical health. If you, if you drove through Longmeadow Farms, or perhaps some of you came through Longmeadow Farms, what you would find on a Sunday morning is there are people running and walking everywhere in that neighborhood. Why? I don't know anything else but Sunday mornings. That's the only time I drive through there early in the morning. And there are people everywhere. They're taking ownership over their vitality. And I just wonder if people looked into kind of our hearts, are we taking ownership over our spiritual vitality? Are we really getting to work and working our spiritual muscles? Uh, at the hotel this weekend, I was doing my exercises and I was like falling all over the place because one of them is to do this like 12 times on one leg, and I can't do it because my, if you don't know, I tore my Achilles back in April, and I just have no muscle in this leg yet because it sat in a splint for like four weeks, and my calf just disappeared. And I went to the doctor, and I would go, well, hello, like, what do I do? I got a calf over here, and I got a sausage over here. Can you help me with this? And she would just look at me and go, you just got to let it go. And I'm like, I'm not a very strong man, but all my strength is in my legs. You're killing me right now. You just got to let it go. And so now that I'm back in like the physical therapy stage, I can stand. I can even like stand on one leg. It's beautiful. But I can't raise up on my calves, like on my toes with one leg. It's atrophied. I haven't used it. It's gone away. And I can't show up to my physical therapist on Wednesday of this week and go, hey, I'm ready to like listen to everything you have to say, but I don't want to do anything you have to tell me to do. I can't do that. If I'm going to get where I want to go, and my, my stepdad was like, man, I should be doing some of that. My mom was like, I should be doing some of that. And the younger people in the room were just making fun of me for not being able to do any of that. And so I think there's like, there's some wisdom there. Like the older people in the room are going, man, I should be doing that. I should be actually trying to work myself out a little bit. The physical therapist, if I go to, the, to her and I go, hey, I just want to work out, but really I just want you to tell me what to do and not do any of it, I would dare say that she would think I'm wasting her time. And I would be wasting her time. So I wonder if we're kind of coming to our gatherings, listening to the physical therapist, the, the, the expert, that's not me, that's, that's the Bible, and then, and then just going home and being like, man, can't wait till next week's appointment. And, and, and they're going to, like my physical therapist would look at me and go, you've made no progress. Did you do any of your exercises? Yeah, I didn't have time for that. I just, I wonder if we're ready to own what God's put before us as a people. To own the, the home exercises that we have, quote unquote. The Bible reading and the prayer. Like we don't ever graduate from those things. The looking to our neighbor to love them. We don't ever graduate from that. I just wonder if we're ready to actually get some healing from the disease of just not caring. 
ownership is very personal, yet never affects one person. If we were to look at verse 10, we would see this continuation of this command, not just to train yourself, but verse 10, he says, for to this end, we toil, we strive because we have our hope set on the living God. These two words toil to exert oneself, to become tired. Are you tired? And if you are tired, what are you tired of or from? Are you tired of like really working out your faith? Are you tired of praying? Are you tired of reading? You've read so much, you're like, I just can't, my eyes can't move anymore. You're tired of other things. We're striving to fight, to wrestle. There is a match going on for our spiritual souls, for our, for our, for our spiritual vitality. Are we ready to wrestle? Does your spiritual life involve wrestling or are we simply coasting? See, God is telling us our maturity will come, will not come without difficulty and certainly will not come without difficult seasons of discipline. Because it's easy for us to to just forget this reality that we are wrestling and that we are called to go in a purposeful journey towards Jesus. It's easy for us to forget that. The enemy wants us to forget that. The enemy also wants us to just kind of give up the fight. Which is why I think there's things like scripture, like this in Scripture in Galatians 6. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. If we would just put the work in now, who knows what God has stored up for us later if we would not give up. But the promise is there. We will reap. We will reap. You might be saying to yourself, well, this is for a church leader. I mean, this is from Paul to Timothy. What does this have to do with me? I'm not a church leader. And yet I would say that all Scripture is inspired and therefore useful for teaching. And is this not particularly a piece of Scripture that we need to hear? But second, are you, are you not a leader? Do you see yourself as a leader? Surely you already lead yourself in some way. And maybe you've got a family that you're leading, maybe either now or in the future. Will you be ready? Will we do these things? And not only that, but does God not appoint you as a leader when He tells you to go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded? That is a position of leadership and influence, and He's put that on you. We will never do that if we don't first understand who God has called us to be. So you may say that maybe it's church leader to another, but you may also say this sounds a lot like legalism, like you're kind of putting some work into, into this. And I would say absolutely, but it's not legalism. I'm not asking you to earn God's favor through actually owning your path. Instead, what I'm hoping that you see is God is not opposed to our effort. He is opposed to earning, but He's not opposed to our effort. So much so that He says things like this in 2 Peter 1. 5 through 8. It's in the middle of this really beautifully rich passage, 3 to 11. I narrowed it down 5 to 8. I didn't put this in our notes. Will you put this up, Nathan? It's really important for us. So look, God gives us everything that we need for a godly life. And then in verse 5, it would say this, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Add to your initial faith. This is what God's Word is saying to all of us now. If we're going to own this, to make every effort to add to our faith. Are we adding to our faith? It's not legalism. This is beautiful obedience to Jesus. To supplement with our faith, with virtue, and virtue with knowledge that we would understand God. And knowledge to self-control, because you're not going to get much knowledge without having some self-control. i got to say no to Netflix and some other things to be able to pursue knowledge. 
Self-control with steadfastness. Now I've got some self-control. We've got to move in the same direction. Steadfastness with godliness. That's what will come at the result of this. Godliness, after we've come to this beautiful point of godliness, is not just for here. It's also for our brotherly affection. And not just brotherly affection, but doing so with love. The kind of love that God gave to us. For if these qualities, verse 8, are yours and are increasing, look at this now, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I just tell you, it's been my prayer for us as a church. It's been my prayer for us as a church that we would be effective and fruitful. And the only way that we would do that is if we would kind of own our path, doing what's necessary now to get where God wants us to be later. But unfortunately, there are barriers for us, are there not? Paul lays out for us three barriers in the rest of this passage There are many other barriers, but I just want to highlight these three. Let's read verses 7, 8, and 9. And then I'll come back to 10. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. See, our barriers to ownership start with this first one when he says, just get rid, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. I would say the first barrier that we have is perfectionism. I don't know about you, but I don't like to start things. Like I have a really hard time starting things, particularly sometimes sermons, unless I think it's going to be perfect. And that's a trap because nothing's ever perfect. So it just delays me and I get fallen into procrastination. And I think there's sometimes when, when particularly at the church in Ephesus, they're just kind of thinking about, well, I mean, did, did it really come from here? I mean, these genealogies, are these correct? And can we really trust them? And all of a sudden they get caught up into all these details. We might go, that's not really us, but perhaps we get caught up in some details. And we start thinking, does, does it really work? Like, does the Christian life really work? work. Are neighborhood groups really okay? Or are they not trustworthy? They're just kind of a waste of my time because I got other things to do on a fall Sunday afternoon that's coming. And we start to kind of just doubt really the, the reliability of what's going on. For them, it was doctrine for us. I think that's a different kind of doctrine. But it also leads to this. It leads us to, to, to not trusting who God is. In verse 9, it says, this, trust, this saying is trustworthy and, and worthy, deserving of full acceptance. I would say this, if you are around someone who is who's kind of saying to themselves, does it really say this? Does the Bible really tell us to do these things? Does, does the church really work? Is it really doing what we say it's going to do? I would ask you to just evaluate whether or not that person is actually involved in anything or if they're sitting on the sideline just criticizing. It's easy for us to get around that type of talk. And instead of kind of leaving it, I think we should engage it with the truth. Invite them in a little closer. Let them taste. Let them see. So for us, it may be the people that just kind of sit on the sidelines, or it may be people that interpret God's Word with no intention or track record of actually applying it to our lives. 
So I hear this all the time in church planting. And actually, whenever I was starting this church, I got this all the time. I would say, and I have a really, like I have a heart for lost people. I really want to disciple people. And the people that loved me, they would go, oh, you do have a heart for lost people. Man, praise God. Like you can't plant a church without loving lost people. And I'd go, I know. And then they'd go, so you, you have a heart for lost people. Yeah. So who are those lost people that you have a heart for? What are their names? And then I would go, oh, man, uh, um, I, uh, huh, let me think. Let's see, like Sam would be one. I don't think I know a Sam at the time, but I'm just going to start making things up. I have a heart for orphans. Really, man, like what are you doing to really care for the orphan then? We have a heart for things. We, we love things. We love God's word. But do our lives show that we actually have a track record there of Loving those things. Loving the lost. We affirm making disciples. What disciples are we making? We affirm that God has forgiven us and therefore we should forgive others. What track record do we have then of reconciliation? Where are we in those things? Perfectionism. Next barrier we have is priorities. Priorities. Verse 8. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. So I don't know about you, but like, I have a really hard time putting things in the right order. I put supreme value over those things that have some value, especially during softball season. I can just kind of deny a lot of basic things to make sure Ellie has what she needs. And when I say I really make Ellie has what she needs, I really mean I just want to have fun like on the softball field and not blow my Achilles out next time would be great. And so we, we just have a hard time rearranging our priorities in such a way that we would honor God. Because he says this, for while bodily training is of some value, there is value in bodily training. And so if you're one of those people that do keto and are like CrossFit and all those things, beautiful, keep going. And as much as you do those things, is there not more value in our spiritual training? That's what the Bible is saying. It's not saying don't go take care of the temple. Instead, it's saying as you're doing that, that should remind you that you should be praying and also reading with the same fervency as we go out and work and do our diet. And for some of us, we need to start working and doing our diet, both spiritually and other ways. So here's what I know. Nothing is more important than our spiritual maturity. And here's what I hear on a pretty consistent basis as far as our priorities are concerned. Men are too involved in work, and women are too involved in kids. And that's a pretty consistent lifestyle that we've kind of set up as far as like really taking ownership. When we ask people to get involved or get invested, or we go, hey man, like we can see some really good leadership qualities in you, but we need you to take the next step and do this, that, and the other. It's usually, I mean, I don't have the capacity for that. And what really that, that, that turns out to be is I don't have the priority for that, which really that turns out to be, I don't really want to do that. Because we make time for the things that we want to do. And that's the hard part about this particular message is that all this all the dead air that's in the room, that's been in the, air, in the room for about 15 minutes, it has a lot to do with the fact that we all know that we can do better at this. We all know that we can. So this isn't about condemning you for what hasn't been done. This is about inviting you into what God is calling all of us to do, just to take hold of this. Because here's why. This next barrier is that we lack perspective. And verse 9 and 10 would say this, Actually, just 10. For to this end, we toil and we strive because we have our hope set on the living 
God. At the end of verse 8, it says this, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. See, that's our, that's our, our, our not just our, our, our priorities, but it's also our perspective. Is that we look out to the future and we realize that our hope is set in God, not in what we can accomplish or attain. So I think, for me, this sounds, etern- this sounds really, really difficult if we don't have some form of eternity in our minds. And so Hebrews 12, Romans 8, give us some, some semblance of hope. Because what, what I'm asking you to do is kind of start working out your soul. And some of us are going to start working out. We're going to think we can go to CrossFit for the first time. We haven't worked out in years. We're going to show up to CrossFit and be like, I got this. And we're going to lay, we're going to lay ourselves out injured and be like, I'm so discouraged by this. You don't want to do that. I've done that. And vomiting takes place. Okay, so spiritually, you don't want to do that. You want to start out with the small things, count some small things as victories and move forward and mature kind of in a baby steps type of way. You don't want to go from zero to 100. You will blow a gasket. Instead, with eternity as our perspective, this is what Hebrews 12 says, Romans 8 will say, Hebrews 12, 11. For at the moment, all discipline, that's what I'm asking you to do, seems painful rather than pleasant. This isn't going to seem pleasant. In the moment, it will seem painful. Whether it's discipline from a father or discipline that you have to get going in owning your spiritual life. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, eternal perspective, later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Most of us think of suffering in the Bible as some physical suffering that's going to come upon us, some illness, cancer, some dietary restriction. Not, that's not the suffering I don't think that God has for us. Instead, it's this spiritual suffering of saying no to the flesh, of just killing that which wants to eat us. And instead, saying yes to the life that is found in Christ of simple obedience, of walking in the Spirit, which is Romans 8. All of Romans 8. There is discipline. There is suffering. And that pays off if we have a perspective. This is our hope is in God. The last thing I want us to do is to look at how we do this, y'all. We're done kind of with the, okay, we haven't done this. We're done with the kind of, okay, these are the things that keep me from doing that. And now I want you to get into, okay, so how do we actually do this? How do we win? How do we become more mature as we grow? First thing we got to do, and I'm going to own this first, is we got to repent. See, most of us think that's a bad word. It's not a bad word. It's a gift that God has given us to realize that we don't have it all together. And because we don't have it all together, we can look to the one who had it all together and gave his altogetherness to us, his righteousness to us, his perfection to us. So we're not, we're not earning, but as a result of what he's given us, may we make every effort. So I'll just, like confession time, I've been easily angered lately. And um, my wife on our last trip, which would be two days ago, uh, looked at me and goes, hey, so uh, those side effects on that medication that you have to take, um, 
because I've got this nerve pain on the bottom of my foot. Like, I don't know what that's about, but like my foot just feels like it's on fire all the time. And so I take uh, this nerve pain medication twice a day. And one of the medications is a big weight gain, which is a lot of fun. Um, but the other one, the other one that I really like is, um, is it said um, increased aggression. Because we need more of that in my life increased aggression. And my wife just looked at me like when I was kind of getting after my kids, not kind of, I was really getting after my kids, particularly one of them. And uh, she just kind of looked at me the other day. She goes, Hey, so um, that medication, have you read this, like all the side effects? I know it says big weight gain. Is there any other side effects that maybe you need to look at? I was like, I don't know. And so I went, I think she went and looked before cause she's like that. So she went and looked before that's what happened. And then I went and looked and I was like, look at that. Like, you think maybe your medication has anything to do with your mood? I was like, I don't know. Let's go look. We go look. It says increased aggression, right? And so I'm just taking that in. And there's this little moment in me where I go, oh, well, no wonder I've been like that. It's just the medication. <laughs> right? It's just the medication. So I could do that, right? And I could go look like, no wonder I've gained weight. It's the medication. It's not all the cookies I ate when I got home. It's the medication. I could do that. We can do that. We can, we can go, you know, find ways to just kind of push ownership to the side. But instead, I've got to go, man, whatever that is, I need a double portion of the spirit's fruit of self-control. Otherwise, I may not have a family in a month. I need a double portion of self-control over owning this. Otherwise, we may not be growing in a month spiritually. To own this, to repent, because I don't know where the medication ends and I begin. I don't know. I just know that I need to fully own whatever part I have in that process. So I get home and, or actually I woke up yesterday and snuggled with my oldest and I was like, hey, you all right? I've been kind of a bear lately. She's like, I just want to go back to sleep. I'm like, I know, me too. We work it out. We kind of get going. We just own whatever it is that's there. We will never, friends, we will never move forward in the path of maturity unless we own 100% of whatever percent we got to own with full assurance that Jesus did, what, what Jesus did was enough for us to pay for our failures, our mishaps, and dare we say it, our sin. So the second we got to do is this. I'm going to go a little bit quicker here. Second, third, and fourth. Get a plan. Work the plan. Evaluate the plan. If you own a business, you have a plan. If you own your spiritual life, you have a plan. It may be just a drift, that, but that's a plan. But you've got to work the plan. See, and then you got the end of it. You've got to figure out if that plan's been working for you. So for all of us in here, we have these, like going back to this diet thing, we have macros. I didn't even know what macros were. We have this macros and you've got fats, proteins, and carbs. Keto people, you with me? All right. I can see you back there. Now you're like, oh, we're going back to diet? I'm dialed back in. All right. You got fats, proteins, and carbs, right? If we have macros in our diet that we should be bringing these things in, these intakes, how much more should we have macros for our spiritual life? Let me define them for you. Bible reading, prayer, and the fellowship with believers. This faithful family that we talk about, that is our intake. Prayer is an intake. Fellowship with believers is an intake. Scripture reading is an intake. 
It is going to be part of your diet that will either make you healthy or not. What would we look like if we took those things truly seriously? So I'll just say this, that on your Bible, excuse me, on your app, we gave you this. We put this app together, not because we want to have like the coolest app and that people would listen to our sermons online. It's so we can communicate with you, number one, but it's also so that we can put things together for us and you would have access to it. So if you've got a phone, for real, download it. And if you've got a phone, pull your your phone out and just look at these things while you're with me. Just to get really practical here for us. Really step by step, how do we actually own this stuff? First thing is this, that there is a Bible reading thing in your app, in the Grove app. If you don't like that Bible one, then go download the ESV. There's plenty of reading plans in the ESV app that you can read on, and it will keep you accountable. It will send you alerts every day at whatever time you want to send you an alert that says, read your Bible. It's an easy thing for us to do. Our spiritual training can get really off the ground, if we would just look at those types of things. If you look at the Bible part, if you look at the prayer part, there is a prayer calendar there for you. Every day of the month, you can be praying for a friend, and then you set an alarm. Like if you want to really, just really get your prayer life robust, set an alarm every day for someone different to pray for. Every day, some of the leaders, the elders, and the deacon candidates that we're training up, we're telling them, the first thing you've got to do is build out your prayer calendar. You've got to be praying for other people and other believers. In your app, there's not just people that you can pray for. There's also churches you can pray for in our area, ministries you can pray for, lost people that you can pray for. Every day, it's given to you on the little prayer tab. You need to get fellowship with other believers? Here's what we would say on the grow tab. You want to really get involved in a growth group? Click the grow tab and it will tell you what to do in a growth group. Read the Bible, discuss the Bible, obey the Bible. Really taking that seriously. And so here's what we're doing also in the app. In the coming up tab, there's a series uh, marker. It says marks of maturity. If you click that, it it will lead you to a Google form. And that Google form is super easy. Three questions it has on there. What is your name? I want to get trained. I want to train someone else. Because this place has to be about building and making disciples, which means bringing lost people into the faith in some seasons. It also means building up those that have been brought into the faith. And so if you're ready to help other people learn, spill it out. Help us out. If you want to actually learn underneath someone else, fill it out. We'll we'll connect you with the right group or the right person. See, this is what ownership looks like. And, and it's really, it's, it couldn't be easier for you to be, for it to be at your fingertips. You literally just have to touch and let people know what you need so that you can own what it is that God wants you to own. My hope and prayer is that we would truly be a people that would not become ineffective or unfruitful in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first step is for us to own it. Own whatever it is that God has for us, whatever path it is that God wants us to be on. So that we mature, so we be made into the image of the likeness of the Son, and so that we may obey Him in all things. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for Your love and care for us. Thank You for sending Your Spirit. Thank You for giving us Your Word opening up your word to us so that we may own it and we may understand it. 
we may trust you. Lord, would we read the Bible? Would we be a people that read the Bible? Especially when it says things like this, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Would we, would we believe it? No matter how hard this is, would we believe that maturity truly is something that God calls all of us to? That we would toil, that we would strive, that we would train for godliness. It's not going to come to us on a, a silver spoon or a silver platter. It's going to come for us as we get to work. And so I pray, Lord, that we would dispel any myths that are in our minds right now, that this is legalism, that this is not the gospel, but instead be reminded that the gospel is this. That you created a world that was good, fully ordered, where you also in that world told people to be fruitful, multiply, multiply, have dominion over all things, get to work cultivating that which was given to you. But yet we sinned, and you gave your Son for us, for the redemption of all those who would believe in Him, trust in Him, walk in Him, pursue Him. And that one day you're going to make this place as it once was. Perfect and good and right. And along the journey, Lord, we fail and we follow. And we fail and we follow. And we fail and we follow. Would You help us, Lord, continue to have faith in that journey, but own the journey. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.